Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Today's Soil Solutions podcast was made possible by the Kansas Department of Agriculture and the Division of Conservation. The Kansas Department of Agriculture is the nation's first state department of agriculture. The agency is devoted to the total support of agriculture in Kansas, and this department works for the entire state of agriculture, including farmers, ranchers, food establishments, and agribusinesses. The department is dedicated to providing support and assistance to make Kansas business successful, to encourage more farms, ranches, and other agricultural businesses to expand in or relocate to Kansas. The conservation of natural resources is an important concern for all Kansans. The Division of Conservation, working with 105 local conservation districts, 75 organized watershed districts, and other special purpose districts, as well as state and federal entities to administer programs to improve water quality, reduce soil erosion, conserve water, reduce flood potential, and provide a local water supply. All right, welcome back to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I'm Jess Kanad, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Chad Basinger. Chad, how's it going? Great, great, great to be with you. All right, okay, a little bit about Chad. So Chad, you're a farmer and a rancher from Pretty Prairie, Kansas, which is in South Central Kansas. You've been working with the Conservation District, NRCS, and the Cheney Lake Watershed on multiple projects over the years to make conservation improvements on your farm. Chad is a consistent voice for sustainable agriculture, whether supporting programs on good land stewardship locally or even traveling to Washington, D.C. to advocate to our lawmakers. Alongside his wife, Cassandra, Chad owns Basinger Land and Cattle, where they grow wheat, soybeans, and grain sorghum. You also manage a cow-calf herd, finished calves, and you have a direct-to-consumer beef program that you're working on right now. Um, And you guys have four children and actively involved in your community and your church. So, Chad, I do have to laugh because I know you've got a pretty pretty advanced system you're working on. There's a couple details missing from your bio. Tell us a little bit more about your operation. Yeah, no, we can we can sure do that here. Um, things kind of evolved over the years, but here recently we've been working on a lot more conservation type practices, a lot more intercropping, companion cropping, conservation practices. We get to work with understanding egg. Ag and the General Mills program here, but we've been doing doing some different things with trying to get more cover crops on the field, um, intercrop or get more crops in between that there are cash crops, and fill kind of fill in the gaps. Um, try to practice the the principles of soil health, um, keep the ground covered, um, keep a living root in the soil. Um, Erosion is a big deal around here with wind, and and just evaporation. 
Um, so we're trying to avoid that. We've had a lot of windy days this spring, um, a lot of hard, hard windy days. So we're trying to keep keep the soil in place, keep it from moving, keep the residue in place. Even it's been hard enough that the residues even wanted to move at times. So we're trying to trying to trying to practice that and, and keep keep the moisture in the soil because that's pretty limited at the time too. All right. So you're in South Central Kansas. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me tell me how you got started into farming. Well, I did. I, actually, I didn't grow up on a farm. My folks didn't farm. Uh, my dad's a carpenter. My mom's a has a cosmetology business. Um, my grandpa and uncle farmed, and that's kind of where I got the love for it, I guess, or the desire. Um, 2001, I was able to pick up two 80s of farm ground, and I started off doing what all the neighbors did and what everybody did. It's, it's wheat country and wheat, 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 and you plow as soon as the combine's done. So we did that for several years, and that's what we did. Um, being that my dad is involved in farming, I guess I had more of an open mind or could look around and ask people what they were doing, how things were how things were going, why they did what they did. So we, I was wanting to learn. So I was able to kind of transition into some more of the no-till, maybe minimum till type type scenarios. And we kind of moved ahead that way. So t- just, just for a little bit of background, in, in your part of Kansas, you called it wheat, 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 wheat. That was your rotation. <laughs> yep. Break that down for somebody who might not know. So you have wheat in the ground for X amount of months. And then would you guys, would you guys utilize a fallow period? So tell us what that wheat program looked like. Uh, most of the time, uh, wheat harvest is in mid-June. And as soon as the wheat would be off, sometimes following the combine, guys, you'd be out there with a the disc, disking the stubble back under or plowing the stubble back under. Usually a minimum of seven passes before you'd plant the next crop in say September, October, it's gotten a little later than what it used to be. It used to be pretty, pretty early about September guys that start planting. Now it's getting pushed back a little bit. Um, but yeah, at least seven, at least seven trips over the ground. As soon as it rains, you need to get out there with a cultivator and cultivate it again to make sure no, no new weeds came up, I guess. <laughs> so no plants in the ground at this time. You're literally just tilling the soil seven times in between. Correct. So, so there's a lot of bare ground then, then with the, the wind erosion, the evaporation, a lot of bare soil, um, a lot of heat through the summer. And then you hoped and prayed for rain in September, October to be able to get your get your weed up and get enough cover to survive the winter and not winter kill and not also blow out, have enough growth on it. And then as soon as June hit again, you started the process over. You told me in your bio earlier that after about eight or nine years of going through this system, you you had asked around and had gained some knowledge about no-till farming. So let's talk a little bit about your no-till farming and how that kind of turned into regenerative practices for you. Yeah, I know there, there's a couple of guys in the area that were doing a little more with the no-till farming. Um, it kind of intrigued me by the way they were doing things. They were getting more crops, say, say they were getting five crops in four years uh, by, by being able to double crop in there, doing some different things like that. That seemed like a profitable deal. They were also, um, we have rye and cheat as an issue in the wheat. And if you didn't till, um, you didn't get rid of the rye and cheat and it just became a nuisance. So by rotating the crops, you were able to alleviate some of the weed weed or pest pressure. Um, so, so by rotating the crops, we were able to get rid of some of those. So that intrigued me. And also from the financial end of it, you were able to gain a crop or two in there. That that seemed like a profitable, profitable deal. So we kind of transitioned into maybe mulch chiseling, tilling, chisel, chisel farming. Um, I, I did transition one field into no-till, one of those original 80s, and kind of played with that for a while and just tried to learn with that 180 while we were still tilling the rest. And then it would have been closer to 2000, 2015, 2014. Um, in there, we transitioned more of the acres to no-till and we'd picked up more acres along the way. 
and just just tried to learn from what other people were doing, um, why they were doing it. I like the no-till because we didn't we didn't have the the wind erosion, we didn't have the moisture evaporating. Uh, moisture is a, a key deal for us, and and if we have about twenty, I don't know what average is anymore, but somewhere around 20, 27 to thirty inches of rainfall average for our area. But sometimes some of that could come in like five, six inch rainfall events, and then and then it wouldn't rain for a while. So conserving moisture was a big deal. I was trying to accomplish by that. Conservation and just just from my point of view, I think conservation is very innate to any type of producer, whether you're a large farming operation, whether you're a specialty crop producer, fruits and vegetables. Um, conservation is in our blood. We nobody is going to do detriment to our land and our soil. But you really started to see the difference when you were able to get into, you know, the cover cropping systems and then, you know, being able to be a part of some of the conservation programs that are out there. Walk us through how that changed your operation. Yeah, we were able to start and, and, and even different with the EQIP programs, the CSP programs, um, signing up in some of those, those helped us transition maybe into some of these things with helping cover, cover some of the seed costs or cover some of the even equipment costs. Um, it was one of those deals I didn't I didn't sell my chisel and my disc until here just a couple of years ago, just in case things didn't work. I I, I <laughs> kept them around. Um, they weren't worth a whole lot because they weren't new or anything like that. Um, but but we haven't we haven't tilled in years now. Um, so I, was, I felt like we just need to get rid of needed to get rid of those. But the conservation programs, the government programs, even the local speakers they've brought in have helped us helped us be able to kind of gain that knowledge, get over that hurdle. Um, I, I've had. Uh, landowners now see it too. I, I had one landowner that we farmed some ground for and the good ground he did not want me to till or did not want me to do no-till on. The sandier ground he said we can go ahead and do no-till on that and after a couple years of that he realized the benefit of it and now we we're able to no-till on on all his acres and we've been for for quite a few years now but he was kind of skeptical but he was also one that nothing against those guys but they they just they plowed that's what they did they thought they were doing what was right and that that's what they learned, that's what their folks had done. And that was just kind of the history behind this area. So I feel like I had an advantage because my folks didn't farm. I kind of had more of an open mind or was able to look at different things and not tied into a family system or a fixed deal, I guess, on what, what needed to be done or what dad said needed to be done. Almost like a, like a fixed mindset. You were able to come at this with so many different open, you know, ways of thinking. So do you think you've been able to pick up farm ground um, based off of farming practices? Yes, I know I have a, a, a some because some of the guys I farm for just hate blowing ground or hate ground moving and have complained about it. And I, I guess I've shown them that we can keep the ground from blowing or it's, I almost guarantee it. I said, I won't. We might till the first year to smooth up some ruts or if it came from a tillage system, do a few things like that to level some things off, get it into the no-till system. But usually just right away, we jump in and plant a cover crop or double crop something after the wheat crop, something like that to get. And I said, well, we won't. We won't ever have ground blow again because of the wind. And and as long as we don't have a major rain event, if we can get the soil built up, I'm not saying we won't have to fix a terrace or two or fix a little water erosion here or there, but for the most part, we won't have any water erosion as well. But yes, no, I have picked, been able to pick up some ground and people have seen the difference or also even the, the added crops in there have seen the benefit of the income from maybe getting multiple crops off the same acreage in a, in a set time. Well, I think that's what's phenomenal. Tell us a little bit more about your companion Milo. Walk us through that system that you currently have right now. Yeah, no, here a few years ago, we were looking at some different things and and, and looking at cover crops. The cover crops were costing us maybe in the mid-20s um, to plant uh, after wheat just to keep the ground covered or maybe possibly graze. 
and and I'm not sure even where I'd seen this idea. It was the, the idea of doing a companion crop. So we plant buckwheat, flax, rape, radishes, and peas in with our milo. We've done it different ways over the years, but now I have an air seeder. So we plant the mix of everything together. And then I plant my milo in the separate hopper. So my milo's, meet, milo's metered out exactly the same. And then if, and, and that mixture costs me basically the same as what a cover crop would cost me. But on the flip side, if we get some moisture, if things look good, I don't, I haven't been fertilizing it really at all. So it's just gets the, the residual of what's there. We might be able to harvest 20, 30, 40, 50 bushel milo off of there and then still have the residue to graze the cattle. So I kind of saw it as a win-win where I could have a, a cash crop to sell. Um, now we've been keeping this milo and feeding it back to our, our cattle or fattening up for a beef business because it'll have some of those those peas or some other things in there and makes a, a higher quality feed. So then we roll that and feed that back to our cattle. But we were able to kind of the best of both worlds. I still get the grazing. The cattle love the grazing. They don't hurt the, the, the companion milo stocks and the turnips are out there. The radishes are out there. The rape's still out there a lot of times. The buckwheat flax and stuff like that's gone, but they don't drink as much water because of those turnips, radishes and stuff that are out there. And they're, they're very content on that, on that mix. So I saw it kind of as a win-win for us there. And, and we've just done that in a double crop scenario, not in a full season Milo scenario, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, getting started in farming 2001, 2010, bringing in the no-till, reduced tillage, um, then 2015, getting the cover crops going. Now you're, you're working on some really impressive grazing systems. And so tell me a little bit about the, you know, the different four plots that you had to determine how you were going to look at grazing um, in the future. Yeah, no, we're tr trying some different things. Um, one of the hangups for a lot of people in the area is getting cattle out on, on quote, crop ground and being able to graze the cover crops and, and figuring out how to do that efficiently, one with water concerns and also just with fencing concerns and how to, how to make that work. So we partnered some with the watershed and the local conservation district to try some different things to see what would work to help others out. Um, here, basically a year ago, we planted four different mixes across a field and replicated those four mixes. So we did a 42 foot strip, skipped three strips and did that same 42 foot strip and did that mix all the way across, which there was two sedan mixes and two millet mixes were the main say, ingredients. Um, they had sunflowers, different ones had different things in them. And then we cross fenced the cattle across all those strips. So we turned the cattle in, we ran, ran a replacement heifers out there to see which they grazed, see which they preferred, how they grazed it, what they grubbed down too fast, what the residue was left after we moved them. And then we moved clear across that 80 uh, with that set of cattle. And actually we never even made it clear across the, the 80, we had enough feed. So we had extra <laughs> stockpiled feed at the end, which we ran some other cattle in. Um, we also went back then and planted rye on the first 40 acres that we grazed to see, like see what weed pressure, see how things looked. Definitely where some of the millet mixes were, straight millet mixes that the cattle grazed the hardest. We had more weed pressure then. The sedan mixes didn't have, had a little more shade cover left to them where we didn't, we didn't have the weed pressure then the following year. So we had like 42 foot weed strips in some of the, some of the strips where the cattle grazed it down harder, which, and we moved the cattle often or, or every few days, even at times, but, but it was just trying to learn what, what's the optimum mix there. What's the optimum move time what fence works the best, what's the best way to move the fence. We're still working with some water options and trying to figure out ways to roll out some pipe where we can roll it back up and, and have everything gone from that 80 except the well. We're trying to figure this out and, and, and figure out how to utilize the crop ground more by having our wheat crop, planting a cover crop right away, being able to graze it for even 60 days, going back to wheat or even letting it stockpile, grazing it through the winter, grazing it some in the summer while it's grazing or growing and then stockpiling it through the winter. And then going into another cash crop, 
Um, we're just trying to see how many different places we can interject cover crops or grazing crops, kind of stacking enterprises on top of each other to gain some more income there and to utilize some cattle feed, um, just be more profitable. Has this been fun? I'm like watching your facial expressions as you're talking about this. I mean, this is the good stuff, man. I mean, I was thinking, okay, is he a rancher? Is he a farmer? You're you're this hybrid regenerative focused on profitability, focused on stacking enterprises. I mean, this has been a good time, right? It's it's yeah, at times you can get down in the dumps and depressed with with just wheat, 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 wheat. But this seems like there's there's more potential, the soil's healthier, cattle are healthier. I guess we're more profitable because we, we're interjecting these other crops without without really any cost or we're, or we're gaining income or gaining gaining revenue by stacking these crops on top of each other um, off the same acres. And it's not, we're not abusing the acres, we're improving the acres. So just some people think, well, you're planting more crops out there, you're mining the soil, but we're we're not, we're, we're putting that manure right back into the soil. We're, we're keeping a living root in the soil, we're cycling, yes. And you didn't just get here. So let's let's talk a little bit about the conservation district, how they've been able to help. And then, you know, let's talk about this three-year program that you've been in as well. I mean, you you seem like the type of guy who you will listen to new ideas and then try to bring them back to the farm and figure out how they plug into your system. So tell us a little bit about how that's working out for you. Yeah, no, the, the, the EQIP programs, the CSP programs, um, the local watershed have all been a big part along the way from from even dollars to help offset some of the cover crops when we're learning here is this going to work um not having to take all my own dollars and and just invest to try to try to make this work so that's been a big part along the way even helping with equipment i can use some of those dollars for for like a no-till drill or spray or different things like that have helped uh, other things with the conservation district the cheney lake watershed in our area has been been a big asset uh, just bringing in different producers different speakers um, even the soil health U programs, the, the no-till on the plains programs, all bringing in different speakers, different ideas from across the, the state, across the nation, even across the world. And, and I look at it as, okay, well, it's, it's all the same practices, but each one has to be tweaked to your area a little bit. So we're able to, to maybe take some ideas from somebody in Indiana or some ideas like with the, with the intercropping, relay cropping type deals and tweak them to, to fit our area. Um, the different things with, we, we've tried intercropping some stuff in some pasture land, some expired CRP land. We have a bunch of CRP in our area, um, kind of like uh, Sice, I think it is, from Australia has been doing. Yeah, and, Colin. Um, Colin yeah. Sice, yeah. And, and trying some of that to, to better utilize those acres instead of just being in a grass, grass, grass. We're trying to, okay, can we in, can we plant some rye in there? I planted some oats in there a couple times. And then grazed grazed that, ran cattle across that. So when the when the grass isn't growing, we got the oats growing, we got the rye growing. Just helped the soil out, uh, diversified a little bit. So no, it's been the the conservation district, the the, the watershed, um, even some of these meetings in the area have been a big benefit just by being able to bounce, get, even just getting to know other people too um, that are doing this and being able to call them up. They've all been at the end of all their presentations. Everyone's had their phone number on there, their email address on there, and say. If you have questions, call. If you run into problems, call. If you if you want to talk more, call. So it's a very, I want to say, community of people that are they're willing to share their ideas, share their share their problems they ran into and said, hey, this didn't work in my area. It might work in your area, but here's one thing we ran into. 
even herbicide concerns, herbicide carryover concerns has been something we've, we've worked with a little bit. So, yeah. We so. were talking about that earlier. You're there. The, the people that are in this regenerative ag movement are so accessible. I think I cold called Ray Archuleta in 2017 and I had a few questions about a few things and he answered the phone and he talked to me yeah. and you know, you're an innovator in your area, but let's talk a little bit about how the goal is for you to pass on your knowledge so that that second guy and that third guy or gal, they don't have to do it the same way you did it because you learned from it and you tweaked the system and you improved upon it. Yeah. So everybody's been very open with their cards, say that they don't, they don't hold their cards close. They're, they're willing to share what they learn. They're willing to share what, what, what they haven't learned, what, what, what's new. Um, and I guess we've had some field days with the grazing scenario. We've, we've had some field days, different people out so we can, we can share and hopefully other people will be able to pick up on some things and, it, and it's not seen as a competition deal. It's all it's so, so if my neighbor tries something, he might say, Hey, Chad, I tried this and this really worked better than what you were doing. So it's just, just that group uh, effort, group uh, involvement and group input. And, and the more people you have doing it, the more ideas you have to bounce off or the more people you have to bounce ideas off of, and, and kind of work forward on this. And, that, and that's why I think a lot of people are excited about this um, because it looks like it has a lot of potential or it does have a lot of potential. And there's a lot of people that are involved and, and upbeat about agriculture now. So here's a question that we didn't talk about before we started the podcast. So I'm going to throw you for a loop. If you could paint a picture of what agriculture looks like in the future, if we are successful with regenerative agriculture. Paint a picture. What does that look like? Maybe in terms of Kansas, in terms of blowing, in terms of dust bowl scenarios, soil moisture. Paint a picture of, of best case scenario success. So in years past, or the, the wheat, wheat, wheat scenario, we were really green through the winter. And then through the summer, everything was just bare dirt. So I guess in, in, in the future, and, and we're getting that way, um, it's green all times of the year, I guess from through the summer, through the winter, um, different crops growing, a lot more diversity, um, diversity for the soil, diversity for the, for the livestock, even, even, even adding, it used to be all, all the, all the fields or a lot of the fields had fences around them because they had livestock. All the fences got torn out. And then, then when it was farmed, there's a lot more fences going back in, or maybe even temporary fences, um, going back in. We have those, that technology or options today too. So, so I think in the future, a lot more, a lot more diversity of crops. It's not just wheat. There's maybe even specialty crops, specialty crops grown for cover crop seed, maybe less, less use on commercial fertilizers, um, less use on herbicides, um, just, just a healthier soil that's not blowing, that's not evaporating, that's not deteriorating, that we're building up for, for the future generations. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I have four kids. I hope at least one of them is going to be interested someday and, and wanting to, to carry on what we started here. And, I want to leave that for them and, and just kind of a stair step. I mean, I, I think they're going to be able to build upon what I've started and, and move forward. So is what I hope anyway, not just be stuck in a rut then. And I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. I personally always think about just the diversity of different people that need to be involved with agriculture. We've kind of gone away from um, agricultural knowledge. And so I hope that with regenerative agriculture and focus on soil health and on nutrition and on producing, you know, maybe it's more local beef, more local food, fruits and vegetables, that we get more people excited about farming and about an agrarian lifestyle that you chose, you know, you weren't, this wasn't a part of your direct lineage, you chose to come back to the land and be a farmer. So I think that's, that's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, no, it's been it's been good. It's been rewarding. It's been the, the, the life and death cycles. I mean, it's a great place to raise a family, um, give them a good work ethic, give them ownership and things. Um, two of our four kids have their own cows already, and we, we started with a little cow herd so they can learn learn life and death. My son's cow that we bought here three years ago has actually got hit by lightning this last summer, so he's he's learned the whole, yeah. the whole cycle. Oh. Of things and he's kept a couple heifers out of it, so so he's kind of continuing on, but it's the they're, they're learning that part of it. So we're regenerating the next generation. We're regenerating our soil. We're regenerating the ideas of this farming work ethic and, and life cycle. So you're a big part of that in the state of Kansas. You're a big part of that in South Central Kansas with the Conservation District. And really just on behalf of all of the Soil Help You, the Soil Solutions podcast. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for being on the call today. Not a problem. Thank you. And thanks for this opportunity. Alrighty, and we look forward to seeing you in January 2020 at the Soil Health U event in Salina, Kansas. So stay tuned for that. All right, Chad, have a great day. Take care, you too. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more soil health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.